Well, good morning. Welcome to the jar. This is the closest I've ever been to a rim before in my life. Okay? So for no other reason, we're really excited to be able to do that. Um, We would love to hear feedback of anything that you have with our new setup. We really feel like it's the best way for us to be able to provide more space for people, especially uh, as we've grown, and you'll learn more about that over the next couple years, or next couple weeks, and the next couple years as it goes further and further back. Um, And uh, one thing, just so you know, eventually all the basketball goals will be able to elevate up, so I won't be able to get that. Isn't that cool? Look at that. I mean, this is like Jordan, baby, you know? Hold on, we're going to do something since it's the first Sunday. Now, if, now if you're listening to this on tape, Bunch is on the goal, all right? So, now if you're a visitor today and you're like, I don't get any of this, uh, we changed, we used to go this way and now we're going this way. Well, if you were to force me to use two words and two words only, To sum up the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ, those two words for me would be good news. Good news. And the reason is, is because that's what Jesus himself said why he came. He said, I came to bring good news. In fact, Paul wrote uh, uh, in the New Testament, Paul was one of Jesus' closest followers. And uh, he wrote over half of the New Testament. And in writing, this is what he said in describing Jesus. He said exactly those two words. It says, I want you to remember the good news that Jesus died for our sins, as the Scriptures say, and that he was buried and was raised to life on the third day. You know, all of us want to hear good news. Because we live in a world in which there's always so much bad news. Bad news on TV, bad news in the paper, bad news on the Internet. But this past week, folks, there was some good news. For example, the economy this week actually went up in the Dow Jones. We gained 500 points. That's good news for our retirements. The Ball State women's basketball team not only made it to the NCAA tournament for the very first time, but they beat Tennessee. That's good news. And David Letterman finally got married to his long-term girlfriend. That's good news, right? I mean, it only took 23 years of dating, but he eventually, you know, got some good news. Also, over this past week, um, there has been good news here locally in Muncie, and we can see it in the Star Press paper. A woman who was unemployed herself was at a grocery store, and when she looked down and she saw a tax income return check. She picked it up. It was $5,000. Now, on Super Bowl Sunday, she had had a check stolen for $2,000 for her, but she gave it back. That's good news. I also read this past week about a mail carrier who uh, saw an 80-year-old woman 
confined to a wheelchair in a burning house in Indianapolis, and the mail carrier went in, got the woman out of the house, and then continued to deliver mail. I mean, that's what? Rain, sleet, snow, burning house, I guess, you know? And then to kind of continue on with this whole idea of good news, I uh, looked up this past week on a uh, blog called The Good News Blog. It's just about stories of good news. And uh, these were some of the stories. One was World War II buddies reunite after thinking one had been killed in World War II. Seventy years they had thought the other person had been killed, and they come back together. That's good news. Or students at a high school decided that they would cut off all of their hair, and they would give that hair to kids who were struggling with uh, chemo chemo, uh, treatments and radiation treatments to give them hair. That's good news. Or the good news about geneticists who are working with pigs to grow healthier bacon for you and I. I mean, that's good news for us, right? I mean, we can eat more bacon. It's not good for the pigs, but it's good for us, you know? And folks, it's just good news is around us. I love to hear good news. You know what I hate to hear, though? Is when people come up to you and they go like this. I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? Don't do that to me, okay? If you got bad news, just tell me. I want to know what the bad news is. Just tell me what it is. So if you got some bad news, tell me what it is. Then tell me the good news. So this morning, I want to start out by telling you, I've got some good news, and I've got some more good news. And the good news is the very first verse that we looked at. And the good news is this that Jesus Christ came to forgive every single mistake you've ever made in your life. Even the ones that you're going to do in your future. He totally forgives what those are. The good news is that He died and was buried in the grave, but three days later, He rose again. The good news is that you can have abundant life here, meaningful life here while you're here on earth. And you can have eternal life beyond this place. And the good news is that God loves you. And that He would move heaven and earth, which He did, for His love for you. And He promises that He'll never, ever leave you. If you've never, ever received any other good news than what I just shared with you, that very first verse, you've got enough good news in your life forever. And yet Jesus wants to give us even more than that. He wants to give us so much good news in our life that we simply enjoy it all the time. In fact, when Jesus first came into the world as a little baby, the angels immediately came and said this, We bring you good news of what? What's it say? Of great joy that will be for all people. Good news, folks, should always result in great joy. And it needs to be enjoyed by all. So for the rest of our time, what I want to talk about is how you can enjoy the good news because it was meant to be enjoyed. 
Now, I realize that we live in a world in which there is a lot of bad news, and sometimes bad news comes and it kind of keeps us from remembering the good news, that God loves us, that he cares for us, that he wants to give us peace. So what I want to look at is how do you keep the good news fresh in your life? How do you keep it from becoming stale? How do you keep it enjoyable? How do you keep living in it? Now, in order to do this, in order to enjoy the good news, we have to ask three questions. And the first question is this. What defines your life? What defines my life? What defines your life? What is it right now that is defining your life? If you would, I'd like you to look at the person beside you, the people around you. Go ahead. That means do it. Actually look. Okay? Some of you are looking at me like, oh, no, do it. Well, there's something true about every single person sitting here today. And the first thing is this. Everybody has problems. Everybody has problems. I've got problems. You've got problems. The person sitting beside you has problems. Everybody has problems. I have a problem. My wife just came up to me just before I walked up and said, you know what? You're taking care of Jordan. I'm on call this weekend. So if you see my child just kind of wandering around somewhere, I've got problems today. Help out, okay? Give, give the brother a break, all right? I mean, there is not a person in this gym right now who is not facing some problem. Today, you're either in the middle of a problem You're heading into a problem or you're heading out of a problem. And sometimes some people are dealing with all three of those all at once. But one thing is true that everyone here is dealing with some problem. But your life does not have to be defined by your problems. Now, some of you have big problems. Maybe this past week you found out that you were diagnosed with cancer or or a, a member of your family was. Or you have some medical problem. But your life doesn't have to be defined by that cancer or that medical problem. So you've got to face it. You can't ignore it. You can't pretend that it doesn't exist. You just have to deal with it. But it doesn't have to define your life. Now in this economy, I know that there are a lot of you who have lost your jobs. In the last week, months, whatever. You know people that have. And you're walking around, you're going, what am I going to do? All my life is about my work. And you know what, folks? It's not. You don't have to be defined by the fact that you lost your job. There's so much more to you than your problems. There's so much more that God wants to do in your life. Now, in saying all this, I don't want to minimize your problems. I don't want you to think, oh, you don't have empathy, man. I'm going through some tough stuff. No. I'm just saying, don't be defined by it. I want you guys to know, I'm your pastor and I love you. There's nothing I would do uh, to try to help you. Uh, The Bible says carry one another's burdens. And one of the things that we want, that's why we want everyone in small groups, is because you can't go through life on your own. You need people around you that can help you when you're going through problems. I fully realize that some of the problems you're facing right now are eating you up. Every bit of your energy is focused in on it. 
But even if your problem is something that you're thinking about all the time, it does not have to become the definition of your life. Folks, you are so much more than your problems. So much more than your problems. In fact, the Bible tells us that God can even use your problems for His purposes to make your life work. And that's the cool thing about having a relationship with God. He'll take whatever it is and He'll mold it and shape it. No matter what Satan throws your way and tries to detract you from what the focus is, God can turn anything and turn it into good news. The Bible says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose for them. If you will attach yourself to God's purposes, God can even use your problems for ultimate good in your life. Here's the second thing that's true about every single person in this gym today. And it's this. Everybody has potential. Everybody has potential. We talked a little bit about this last week. We said that everybody, if you're breathing, you have potential. No matter what you've done in your past, no matter what you just did last night, no matter what you're thinking about doing in the future... You have potential. And it really doesn't matter what kind of family you came from. If it's a messed up family, a screwed up family, it doesn't matter. God says you have potential. Folks, you are special. You're one of a kind. There's no other person like you. God created you in a unique way. And God doesn't make junk. You know, my wife, Jennifer, when she and I first got married, uh, Jennifer came from a family in which uh, there was a lot of expectation put on her, almost uh, more than anything she could imagine sometimes. And um, she just didn't see much potential sometimes in her life. And I remember in the first few years of our marriage, what I would do is we would wake up in the morning and I would just pray for her every single morning for the first Uh, three or four years of our marriage. And I would just pray, God, when Jennifer looks in the mirror today, would she see herself as you see her? That she would see herself as the beautiful, intelligent woman who is full of potential. And you know what? That's what some of you need to do. You need to remind yourself how God sees you. God doesn't see anyone as a loser or a piece of junk. He sees people with potential. And you may need to look in the mirror and actually remind yourself, kind of like I encouraged Jen to do as we went through our first few years of marriage. Now, for some of you, you don't have issues at all with self-esteem. In fact, you're arrogant. You think you got it all together. And the potential is just kind of oozing out of you. But you know where this potential comes from? Your past. You're stuck on glory days when you were able to touch the basketball goal, you know? And you bring that up all the time. And some of you may have had academic success or career success or physical fitness success or financial success. 
But if you're not careful, you can be trapped by your success. You can live your whole life trying to live up to your past success, trying to impress people around you. But eventually you're going to wear out. And you know why I know that? Because much of my adult life, that's what I tried to do. You know how not to get so impressed with yourself? Be impressed with somebody else. In fact, be impressed with someone that's greater than yourself. And that's why you should be impressed with the one who knows you best and loves you most. And that's God Himself. And all that He is. And when you do that, you don't have to worry about impressing other people or trying to impress yourself. Folks, you don't have to be defined by your past successes. Because God wants more. I mean, as great as those successes may have been in your past, God wants to do even more in your future. The Bible says this. Let's read this one together. Now, glory be... That means all of us, okay? Are they up there? Yep, I see them. Okay, they're there. On three. One, two, three. Now, glory be to God. By His mighty power at work within us, He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever dare to ask or hope. Did you hear my little southern thing there? I don't know what I said, but you did it better. As much as you've been able to accomplish on your own, God says, I want to do much, much more in your life. I mean, you were put on this planet for more than simply your past successes. And this verse reminds us that God wants to do something in your life above and beyond what you can even imagine. Isn't that cool? Above and beyond what you can imagine, God wants to work in your life. There's a prayer by uh, Howard Thurman who was uh, one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s mentors. And I love this prayer. And uh, it goes like this. God, give me the courage to live, really live, not merely exist. Live dangerously, scoring risk. Live honestly, daring the truth. Let me not be trapped by success, nor by failure, nor pleasure, nor grief, nor malice, nor praise, nor remorse. Give me the courage to go on spending my life to the full for you. So you can either be defined by your problems, you can be defined by your potential, or you can be defined by God's purposes. Everybody has God's purposes. And the cool thing about God's purposes is that they will last. They're going to last forever. In fact, the Bible says this, His plans endure forever. His purposes last eternally. You know, God has a purpose for every single person in this gym this morning. And He wants you to last forever. He wants that purpose, that thing He's calling you to do, to last forever. I mean, God made you. He knows you better than anybody else. He wants you to be successful. And his definition of success is this. To live out the purposes that he's given you for your life. To live out 
His purposes. He wants you to do things that He is not asking anyone else to do. You realize God will ask you to do things that He's not going to ask Billy Graham or any other spiritual world leader. He's going to ask you to do it. And He says, if you'll turn to Me and you do that, I will show you how to do it, and your life will be filled with abundance. The problem is, many of us try to live out of a purpose of trying to meet the needs of other people. We try to fulfill the purposes of other folks. Maybe it's apparent that our whole life we've been trying to meet their expectations. And you know who you are if that's you. You're trying to meet their purpose for your life. It might be a boss who you just continue to work extra hours and overtime and everything else to meet their purpose. Or maybe it's a friend. And what happens is is that people try to fulfill the purposes of other people and they fail to fulfill the purposes of God. Sometimes this shows up because people start copying themselves like other people. They want to be like someone else. We say, if I could only be like them, if I only looked like her, if I could only have his brain, and when we get on that road, folks, you go down a road where burden is going to kill you. And you fail to enjoy the good news of God. Jesus said this one day. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. Don't you love the freedom that God gives you to simply be yourself? You don't have to be like anyone else. You can simply be yourself, and that gives your life so much freedom. God simply desires that you would define your life based on His purposes and not the people around you or not even yourself. Because He knows if you do that, it will give you the most freedom in your life. Well, here's the second question that you need to ask if you're going to enjoy this good news. And the question is this. What ignites my life? What ignites your life? What ignites your life? Something has to ignite your passion to really live. Something has to ignite you to action. I mean, you actually have to do something. You've Define what your life is, but are you doing anything with it? Jesus shared his passion when he said these words. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. If you really want to live, if you're sitting here today, maybe for the first time, trying to figure out what is the key to life, folks, the key to life is giving your life to the one who knows you best and loves you most. And when you do that, he ignites your life. And you might be asking, well, well, how? What ignites my life? What can ignite my life? You see, there's a difference between defining who you are and igniting your life to action. Even with Christians. You ever notice this? They'll say, oh yeah, I got good news. I got good. Boy, it's good. They're defined. 
as a Christian. There's just nothing igniting on their face that makes them think that they actually like being one, you know? Now, here are a few pictures. They'll come up on the side screens. And uh, what's the first picture of? What? My daughter can do this, so help me out, okay? Match. Number two, what's the second thing? Okay, and what's the last thing? A rocket, the space shuttle. Now, all three of these can be ignited into action. But you just look at them now just the way that they are, and they're doing nothing. They're doing absolutely nothing. Now, interestingly enough, they're defined what they are. You can tell what they are, but they're just not going anywhere. In fact, they're not going to do anything unless what? They get ignited. Now, look at what happens when they're ignited. When you take the match and you ignite it, what happens? Fire. And when you take a car and you ignite the engine, what happens? A drag race. And a few minutes after that, what else? A ticket, okay? And when you ignite the rocket, it goes off the launch pad and it goes into space. But all three of them have to be ignited before they can move. Now, I have learned in my life that there are two primary motivations that ignite our lives, that ignite us into action. The first one is what I call short-term motivators. Short-term motivators. Now, probably the number one short-term motivator is money. It's money. Some people will do whatever they can, whenever they can, to gain or get money. In fact, the whole reason why the economy has collapsed and has been in such a horrible shape is because many people, what they did was they borrowed money and money and more money that they didn't have, and they bought more stuff and stuff and stuff that they wanted to have, and we got in this problem. And now we're trying to bail ourselves out. And Jesus warns us about short-term motivators of money and stuff. He says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where there can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves break in and steal. Every single thing that you possess, everything, I don't care what it is, one of three things is going to happen to it. It's either going to give out, it's going to rust out, or it's going to wear out. Guaranteed, anything that you have is going to give out, rust out, or wear out. You can take that to the bank. And yet, for many people, they think money and stuff is going to last, and it won't, folks. It won't. I've done hundreds of funerals, and you know what? When people are buried into the ground, guess what? No one's taking all their stuff with them. Your family is, but they aren't. For others of you, your short-term motivator might not be money. You're saying it's not money, but maybe it's success or respect or image. You want to have the right image. Others of you have negative kind of short-term motivators, like worry or anxiety, or fear, or guilt. Guilt can be a great motivator in the short term. 
But negative or positive, whatever they are, it's short term. It's not going to last forever. They run out quickly, and then you have to look for another motivation. You know, for most of my life, the number one short-term motivator has been success. Success. When I was in high school, I wanted to have athletic success. And I was. I was the senior athlete uh, of the year uh, in my senior year. Got this big old trophy. I've thrown it down a couple times in front of you. And man, I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. But you know what, folks? How long does high school last? Well, for some of you, I know it lasted longer, but for typically most people, it lasts what? Four years. Four years and you're done. So I was done. So I went to college and what I wanted was academic success. And I got that. I got a degree, got some awards. But uh, how long does college last? For most people, four years. It was over. I went and pastored the first church. Uh, that I passed through. It was successful. Doubled in size in four years. But after four years, Jennifer and I felt called to go somewhere else. And that success, guess what, folks? It was over. So I went and got my master's degree at uh, Anderson School of Theology. And I became a uh, you know smarter person. Ha! Huh. <clears throat> and uh, But after four years... It was done. So I went and I started this small little group uh, called The Jar in my house uh, a few years ago with six people. And I had this vision. I had this plan, a short-term motivation. Seven years, we'd have 250 people, adults and children. We hit that in year four. And at the end of 2007 and all of 2008, the church just kind of it, it just kind of stayed stagnant. And you know why, folks? Because I was more concerned about success than I was about changed lives. And God has spoke to me a lot in the past 18 months. And he said, Chris, life is not about success. It's about significance. What significance do you bring to this thing called life? And Chris, I'll grow the church. You grow people. You invest in people, you put your time into people, and you see changed lives happen. But it's not about success. And so my goal for the rest of my life, for as long as I live, is to help grow people and allow them to make changes that make them healthier people than when they first came into this place called the jar. Now in saying all this, I'm not trying to put down success. I mean, success is better than failure, right? I mean, I take success 100% of the time. In fact, I'm a goal-oriented person. You talk to our staff, sometimes uh, they think I'm a little bit too goal-oriented. But it's good to have goals. It's good to have excellence in your life. Those things are important. But don't let it define you. Don't let that be the igniting short-term factor for your life. Because if you do, you'll never be content. You'll never be satisfied. So what you have to look at is long-term motivators. What are the long-term motivators in your life? Now, the greatest long-term motivator that I know in life is the hope of heaven. It's eternal life. What is it that you can do with your life now that is going to extend your life once you're dead and gone? Because that's the most important question that you could think 
to ask, I think, as a human being. What can I do to have long-term motivation? And the Bible says this, that the eternal reward is like this. It's like an athlete who works hard to win a crown that cannot last. But we do it for a crown that will last forever. This past summer, we celebrated the Olympics, and there were all these different Olympic athletes who spent years and years of their life going for a particular goal. Now, some of their goals, you know, it only lasted 10 seconds. Like if you ran the 100-meter dash, it's over in 10 seconds, folks. Now, I honor them in that. I think it's amazing. They're doing a lot more with their life than, you know, many people. But you think of it, you and I have the opportunity to spend a life of endurance and giving our lives away. And the payoff isn't a 10-second race, folks. It isn't a gold medal that you get on one day. In fact, I have a feeling most of you couldn't even name who won the 100-meter dash this past summer. And you know why? Because it's done. It's over. You don't remember it. But the payoff that you and I can have is eternal rewards. Not just selfish rewards, but rewards that spill out into all of our lives. Well, heaven is going to last. It's the greatest long-term motivator. But there's something else in heaven that's going to last too. In fact, I talked about it last week. I said the thing that matters to God most, the number one thing that matters to God is what? You don't even have to have been there last week to know this. The number one motivator, the number one thing that matters to God is what? People. It's people. In fact, people matter to God more than anything else in the world. Everything else in the world is temporary, but people are not. And just as God put his greatest investment into people, he wants us to do the the same thing. So heaven's going to last, people last, and there's one more thing that lasts, and it's love. Love lasts. Let's uh, read this next verse together. It's only three words, so let's read it together. One, two, three. Love is eternal. Love is eternal. Love lasts. Now this teaching that I'm giving right now, with our new side screens. Many of you won't remember this. Tomorrow. Next week, guaranteed, you won't remember it a year from now. I mean, you're not going to walk into heaven, you know, one day, and I walk in and you go, well, a bunch, you made it. We weren't sure. But, uh, (laughs) hey, I wanted to tell you something. You know, there's all these things that last, and... uh, you know, I just wanted to thank you for that, that teaching you gave on March 29th, 2009. Man, it has lasted. I guarantee you won't do that. It's not going to happen. And if you read this passage in its context, and you can do that this week, it's in 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter. It says that miracles aren't going to last, prophecies aren't going to last, Inspired words aren't going to last. I mean, the things that we think are so great and miraculous in this world aren't going to last into heaven. But there is something that will last, and the thing that will last is is love. So this week, as you're 
at work and you're building something or you're working on a spreadsheet or you're inputting data or you're stacking or storing something and you think this isn't going to last, if you do it with the right heart towards God and a love for other people, God can make the simple things last. And if you're working around your house and you're doing the routine things like washing clothes, vacuuming uh, you know, the carpet or, you know, changing diapers like I've been doing a lot lately. And if you think, no, this isn't going to last, if you do it with a heart of love and a mind towards other people to love them, God can make those things last. Friends, the only motivation that will last through this life into the next life is love. And so whatever you're going to do this week, do it with a motivation of love. Here's the last question. And the question is, what restores my life? What is it that restores your life? Now, in life, I think there tends to be two different types of people. One type of people is what I call the rubber band type of people. These are the people who are anxious all the time. They're big self-motivators but they make everyone else around them uptight. It's kind of like this rubber band. And what happens is rubber band people get more tense and tense and tense and they just get so tight and overwhelmed and you just wonder, when is it going to break? And there's tension and you're just like, oh my gosh, there's no peace in that person's life. They're close to snapping all the time. Do you know people like this? Yeah. I live much of my life like that. And I'm tempted to go back sometime. Just always so self-motivated that there's just tension. There's no peace. And then there are people, what I call bungee cord type of people. Not rubber band people with tension, but bungee cord people. And I don't mean at the top of the jump where they're risky and they're like, you know, their life is all in their hands and, you know, they jump into some cliff or you know, water or whatever. I'm talking when everything's done and they're at the bottom and they're just kind of dangling like this. In fact, Pastor Isaac's a lot like this, you know, sometimes. And uh, I think there's a picture of him there, you know. I mean, sometimes I wonder if he even has a pulse, you know. He's just so at peace, no matter what's going on, you know. But you know what? Sometimes I'm envious of that. And I look at that in this life and I think, how can I get that? And I was just thinking this last week. The days in which I experience the greatest peace in my life is when I do one of two things. The first thing is this, to look at God's words. To just kind of open the Bible and not for a long time, maybe just you know a few minutes, but to open it up. And as I open it up, God begins to give me some peace to my life. In fact, the Bible says this. The teachings of the Lord are perfect. They renew the soul. God's teaching, the Bible, has the power to renew your soul. And I've seen this happen again and again in my life. I wake up in the morning, I'm kind of stressed out about something, just like I was this past Friday. I had to finish my teaching on Friday because there were things on Saturday I wanted to do. My parents were coming down, so the house had to be in order, you know. Jennifer left to go help somebody, so I can say that, you know, you're cleaning everything up. 
And H.H. Craig was going to bring to us a dishwasher because ours no longer cleans dishes. I took a drink one time in the, you know, like milk that sits for a while. It's not a good thing. And uh, they brought us a refrigerator because the one that we had is 20 years old. And it's so efficient, inefficient that sometimes you just hear this. Like that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I've got one of those if you want it, okay? Well, that morning I spent time in the Bible and I was, I was just, you know, reading the Bible and, and I came on this word joy. And I read a scripture that says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I had no idea that I, how much I would need that verse later on. H.H. Gregg delivered the wrong dishwasher. They didn't mount it. I get there and the dishwasher's like shaking, coming towards my new refrigerator. I'm trying to keep it back, you know? And I spent five hours on Friday talking to salesmen, assistant managers, managers, their wives. I mean, I was talking to all of them, you know? And most of the time, folks, Bunch would have lost it. He would have been so angry and upset, and he would have, you know, said a whole bunch of stuff and said, you know, I'm the pastor at the Presbyterian Church, you know? <laughs> but that whole day, I'll tell you what, it was chaotic. It was horrible. But that morning when I woke up, I'd already read God's words, and God's word said, Joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I went through that day with joy. You know, most of the time when you get overwhelmed, when you get anxious, when problems hit your life, the first thing you do is run away from the Bible. I do as well. And the reason is, I think, is because if we read it, it may actually ask us to do something that we don't want to do. Or it may call us into something that will provide good news. Today, I just want to encourage you that if you haven't signed up yet for our journey through the Bible, which is an email that you get Monday through Friday with a scripture devotion, takes less than five minutes, it's free. Sign up at the connections table today. You can go online at thejar.org and you can just sign up and click on it. And the reason I'm telling you this, folks, is there are 50 people that are doing it. And every week I get an email from someone saying, thank you so much for doing this because it's changing my life. It's changing my marriage. It's changing my relationships with other people. So do that. It'll give you peace. Also, on April 25th, I want to encourage every single person here, like, save the date like you're going to a wedding. We're having a thing called Walk Through the New Testament. If you've never read the Bible before, this is for you. Or if you haven't, you want to grow in it, it's for you. And you can come and you can be a part of that. I'm trying to get uh, our second child to be born after April 26th or April 25th because I believe in this so much. So today, just say, I'm going to do it. It's free. You get a free lunch and you can do it. Here's the second thing that brings peace to your soul. And it's when you talk to God and it's through prayer. Prayer. The Bible says this, never worry about anything. Yeah, right. You know? Well, here's how you do it. But in every situation, let God know what you need in prayers and request while giving thanks. Then God's peace, which goes beyond anything we can imagine, will guard your thoughts and emotions through Christ Jesus. 
This is one of my favorite scripture verses because it gives three quick steps. You can circle it in your program to remember it this week. The first step towards peace is this. In every situation. In every situation, let God know. Sometimes we don't, uh, you know, tell God situations in every situation. We don't talk to Him because we don't want to bother Him. I mean, it's such a little thing, and I don't want to bother him with this little thing, so I won't say anything. But you ever notice how small little things get bigger and bigger and bigger when you don't address them? So I just want to encourage you today that if you're in a place in your life where you're not experiencing peace, then just share it with God, no matter what it is. Here's the second step. Tell him what you need. You can circle that in that scripture verse. You just tell him what you need. You know, there's something that's very goofy about human beings. And that is when we go to God, we'll do almost anything, telling Him what we need except what we actually need. We'll go to God in prayer, and maybe the prayer is we need finances to pay our house payment. And we'll go to God, and we'll say, Oh God, be with the missionaries in Africa. Help them. That's not what you need. I mean, what you need is your house payment to be paid for. And... We often do this because we don't want to seem selfish. I don't want other people, you know, who are suffering throughout the world, so I'm just not going to say anything. And God says, tell me what you need. I mean, if you don't tell me what you need, how can I work in your heart? And when I tell him what I need, he doesn't always meet my need the way that he wants. That I want, I mean. I mean, we might say to God, God, I need some money to pay for my house payment. And after we're in the Bible and we pray and we're connecting with God a little bit, He'll say, you know what? I don't think what you need is money. You need to move. Because you can't afford it anyway, so you just need to move. But you'll never know if you don't tell him what you need. And uh, maybe sometimes, miraculously, though, he comes with money in ways that you wouldn't imagine to meet that need. Here's the last thing. While giving thanks. You can give thanks to God in all things. Even in the turmoil in your life. You can give thanks in all things. You don't have to thank Him for all things, but in all things. Just circle it while giving thanks. And it gives you peace. I mean, every relationship you're in right now might be bad. Every relationship's bad. But your relationship with God is a good thing. And you can give thanks for that. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. I've said over and over again, you choose your attitude, and a thankful attitude always brings peace. If you're suffering from any lack of peace, pick up the Bible. Pray and see what happens. Here's our last verse, and then we'll be done. Jesus said one day, if you want peace, this is how I'm going to offer it to you. And he said these words. I've told you all of this so that, trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've conquered the world. I love that about Jesus, that he's just honest. Hey folks, you're going to have difficulties in life. You just are. It's a part of life. You're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties. But he says, I can give you peace even as you're going through this. You know, we live in a bad news world, folks. But Jesus came to give good news. And you can experience the peace of that good news today. 
Now, I know for some of you this morning, as we've been talking about this good news and peace, you're like, man, that's what's missing in my life. I want that. How, how do I do that? But you haven't really started a relationship with God. You're just saying, man, if that's what you can have with this relationship, that's what I want. And if you're that person, I'm going to share a prayer in just a second that I'll invite you to just kind of say quietly to yourself. Others of you, maybe you've accepted the good news, but you just haven't experienced much peace in your life lately. You're not enjoying the good news. And so I want to pray for you as well. And so let's stand and uh, we'll close in prayer. So if you're kind of ready to accept this good news of Jesus, I just invite you to kind of pray this prayer silently to yourself. Jesus, I need your good news. I want to have a meaningful life in this world. I want to look forward to the hope of heaven. But I need your forgiveness. So would you come and change my life? Jesus Christ, as much as I know, I ask you not only to forgive me, but also to change me into the type of person that can celebrate your good news daily. To help me begin to live the way you want me to live, I need your good news in my life. Maybe for some others of you, you've uh, made a commitment to Christ at one time, but You just haven't been experiencing much peace. And maybe you would just pray this prayer silently to yourself. Jesus, I have this good news in my life. I'm grateful for it. But I haven't been living like it. And I want your purpose and I want your peace in my life. So right now I ask that you would restore my soul and reconnect me with you. Father, we thank you for the good news. The good news that impacts each of our lives regardless of where we're at. And we thank you, God, for giving us the greatest news ever by giving us your son, Jesus. And for that, we are thankful and grateful. And it's through him we know we can have the greatest purpose and the greatest peace for our life. Would you help us to live that out this week? In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything...